Okay. If you have your Bibles, please turn to uh, Galatians chapter 6 this morning. It's Galatians chapter 6. And I want to, if the Lord will be my helper, I would love to preach on one of my, well, not the most favorite subject in the world to preach upon, and that is the cross of Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. You all know the context of the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul, of course, established this group of churches on uh, his uh, missionary trip through that area known as modern-day Turkey. He um, went and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified and converted many people, Jew and um, Gentile, uh, to the truth. Now, after Paul left the area, of course, a group of people came in. You might call them Judaizers. They came in among the people of God. And these were probably so-called Christians, but they didn't like persecution too much. And they also liked to gain a lot of followers. It made them feel good. Makes a lot of people feel good in 2018 to gather a group of followers to be a leader, even if you really don't believe in the cause. But they would persuade them that, yes, uh, Jesus Christ uh, died for our sins, but you know, there are some tenets of the law that we still need to keep. There are some rules that you still need to follow. And, of course, that's relevant to 2018 as well. People will preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, but it'll be Jesus Christ and him crucified plus, or Jesus Christ and him crucified and, because we've got a few rules for you to follow. And, of course, if you don't follow these rules, you cannot be saved. I hope that we respond the same as the Apostle Paul did. And he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from the truth that I delivered unto you. He says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you (laughs) to follow a gospel that is not another gospel? It's not a gospel. It's another gospel. It's not the truth. So he he, uh, writes this letter to him. And as you can tell, the Apostle Paul, I would say, is angry. (laughs) <laughs> he uh, uses some angry language and um, he gives them lots of metaphors, lots of lessons for the Old Testament, um, a lot of persuasive language to try to bring them back from that um, from that error, because the Judaizers were telling them that, yeah, you can worship the way you want to, but just be circumcised. Um, yes, we uh, we're going to believe this so-called gospel, but. Also, we need to observe days, weeks, and months. We need to go back under the tenets of the law if you're going to be saved. We're going to find out that these Judaizers were just trying to avoid uh, persecution by the local Jews, see. If they, um, you know, uh, submitted to circumcision, if they observed, you know, at least days, weeks, and months, and years, according to the Jewish law, then they wouldn't be persecuted by the the local uh, authorities there. And they wanted the, the, the followers and the big crowds. And, of course, they gloried in the fact that they converted these people to their cause. Now, the Apostle Paul 
uh, uses lots of arguments to bring them back from this error, but he saves his best argument for last. He leaves, he, la- he leaves his best argument for the sixth chapter of Galatians. Now, let's we'll start together with verse 11. Let's read verse 11 together. You see how large a letter I've written unto you with mine own hand. Don't worry, I'm, I'm cognizant of the time. I'll leave Brother Charles at least five minutes <clears throat> to wrap up this morning. You see how large a letter I've written unto you with mine own hand. Now, this is significant. Paul's telling them, listen, I am writing this with my own hand. Why is that significant? Because Paul hardly ever wrote letters with his own hand. He always dictated them. If you go to Romans, there is Tertius or Tertius over there. That was his scribe or his secretary that would write down. But here he wants them to know that this cause, this, 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 this situation is so serious that I'm writing it with my own hand. He says, see how large a letter I've written unto you with my own hand. Of course, he had other, other books in the Bible were quite a bit larger in the book of Galatians. But um, some theorize that he was writing in large letters because of his impediment. He probably had an eyesight problem. Um, we think we read over in Second Corinthians chapter 12 that there was a thorn in the flesh that he prayed three times for the Lord to remove. And of course, you all know there's four answers to prayer, correct? There's yes, that's the one we like. There's no, that's the one we don't like. There's third answer, which is wait. We don't like that one either. And then there's the fourth one, which is my grace is sufficient for thee. Now, Paul doesn't write out or specify what his thorn in the flesh was. And that's probably good. He leaves it vague. You know why? So that we can all put, insert our problems into that situation. Uh, Not just wasn't one specific problem. It could be any problem that the Lord answers you in the same way. My grace is sufficient for thee. Now, Paul may have had an eyesight problem. We read over in Galatians chapter 4, he says, When I first came among you, Galatians, I preached. You looked at me like, wow, yes, this is the gospel. And we love you so much, Paul. It says, we loved you so much. If it were possible, we would have plucked out our very eyes and gave them to you. You ever had any church members like that, Charles, that loved you so much? That they would actually pluck out their very eyes to give them to you? Not yet. <laughs> I'm still working on it. But now they didn't say, you know, any other uh, body part, but they specifically said eyes. And he says, I came to you in much affliction. He says, I was hurting, but I still came to you and preached the gospel. And you and you honored me by um, by honoring Christ, by believing on him and believing this word, this good news. And now what has happened to you? Oh, foolish Galatians. He says, I see how large a letter I've written it to you with my own hand. So no matter what, you know, and it said in the scribes, you know, when they wrote, you know, they're professional writers. So they wrote in small letters to get more on a page. Paul pro- probably wrote in larger letters, you know, so he could, you know, that's the reason he probably uh, uh, dictated more than he wrote. Or maybe he wrote in large letters because he couldn't see very well. It really doesn't matter what the really the specific thing is. What we need to get out of this is that this was so important that he wanted to the Galatians to know, I wrote this with my own hand. Take this seriously. So, I love you so much is the bottom line. He loves them. Now go to verse 12. 
as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. Now that word constrain means compel or as necessary. So what they were saying is they weren't just saying, do this, be circumcised or observe the Sabbath or observe the Sabbath years. They weren't just saying, please do that. They were compelling them. They were saying that it's absolutely, it's necessary for you to do these things in order for you to be saved. He says, um, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain, they compel you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Brothers and sisters, the cross of Christ is offensive. It's offensive to the world. It's not offensive to us. Now, brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. A cross is offensive to me. A cross should be offensive to you. But the cross... Is not offensive to me. And that's the, th- that's the cross we're concerned about. We're not concerned about a cross. We're concerned about the cross of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because a cross, brothers and sisters, back then was all bad. But brothers and sisters, the cross was a place of deep sadness. And it will break your heart. But it was also a place of wonderment and joy and salvation. That's the reason the Apostle Paul says, I'll, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever, that word glory there is not doxa. It's not glory and splendor and majesty, you know, the light of the Holy Spirit and God and Christ. It, that word for glory there means um, boasting. Or bragging. So listen to it again. God forbid that I should glory. Or boast. Or brag. Save. Nothing else in this world. Is worthy of your bragging. Of your boasting. Than the cross. Of Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever bragged about the cross of Christ? Have you ever boasted about the cross of Christ? You say, Brother Chris, how do I brag about the cross? <laughs> how do I boast about the cross? That's an interesting question. He says, for neither they themselves are circumcised, keep the law. That's in the verse, next verse. Verse 13, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. Paul says, don't be deceived. They just want followers. They don't really care about you. <laughs> they, they, um, <clears throat> they want the big numbers, right? And there's a lot of people who they don't care how they get the big numbers. They just want to get the big numbers. It doesn't matter what they say on TV or radio or in commercials or on their signs. They just want the big numbers. For, ne- for neither they themselves or a circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised. They don't even keep the law themselves. But they want you to be circumcised. They glory in your flesh. They're boasting about how y'all are following them. Paul says, listen. What you need to do is compare me to them. Compare my experience 
to their experience. That was one of his arguments. Just go over to Philippians chapter 1 and chapter 3. Now, we won't go over there right now. Don't have time. But you'll see some of Paul's resume. You see some, some of Paul's resume here in the book of Galatians. Paul says, they can do what they want to, but I'm going to boast in Christ. This brings us to the main verse, which is verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Now, you notice in James chapter 4, James tells us we have three enemies, correct? We have Satan, we have our flesh, and we have the world. Why does Paul just mention the world here? Because he's referring to the subject matter at hand, which is the Judaizers, which is the influence of the world. And we are to battle the world, the flesh, and Satan the same way. The same way as Jesus Christ battled them in Matthew chapter 4 when he was tempted. It was the word of God. It was the word of God. It was the word of God. And here he is making the argument... Don't glory, don't boast, don't brag in anything save the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, he's talking about the priority of the cross. The cross should come first in everything. I am boasting in the cross. Now, how do you boast in the cross? Well, first of all, listen to what Paul's not saying. Paul is not saying I am boasting in a cross. He is saying I am boasting in. In the cross. I hope you can see the difference there. Right? Now, if you were not a Roman, Roman citizens were exempt. But if you were not a Roman and you committed a capital crime, they would nail your hands and feet to two wooden beams, prop it up in the ground, and leave you there for several days to die either from exposure or exhaustion. Or asphyxiation. Now that is a cross. That is a cross. That is not what Paul was glorying in. He wasn't glorying in that to the exclusion of everything else in life. You see, a cross is the thing that the that the thieves died on. Amen. The cross is where Jesus Christ gave us His life. A cross is what you hang on the wall. The cross is where the Son of God hung and died for our sins. His cross was a beam on his back. A cross is a trinket around your neck. When you saw someone back then carrying a cross, bearing a cross upon his shoulder and dragging it upon the ground, you saw a dead man. A dead man walking. You saw someone, when you saw that situation, you knew that person was going to suffer and die. Right? Now, I've said this before, but I was in Vero Beach. We have a little bridge that goes over from the mainland over to the island over there. And I was at the intersection. And I saw a man dragging a cross on his shoulder. And I looked, real I looked real close at that cross. He wasn't exactly dragging it. He had two little wheels <laughs> on the end of it. So it would be easier to carry. Right? Now, when I saw that man 
I knew that wasn't the cross. I knew that was a cross. And I knew that wasn't a dead man walking. I knew he was going to roll that thing, not drag it. (laughs) He was going to roll it across the bridge. And after he got over there doing what he had to do, he was going to have himself an iced tea and probably a fish sandwich or something. Right? That's a cross. But Jesus Christ, when he bore the cross, he was going to Golgotha to die and to suffer unimaginably. You know, he's, the things that he suffered, a lot of other human men went through. And I, I mean, I'm talking about the whippings and, and the scourgings and the spittings and all that. But you remember, brothers and sisters, that upon the cross there was darkness. You remember that there was a point which the Son of God cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, brothers and sisters, how he suffered. What a place. What a place on earth. It'll break your heart. But what he accomplished on that cross is what we can boast about. The cross I'm talking about and Paul was talking about was the same one he talked about in Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. I love this verse of scripture. It should have a big cymbal crash at the end and French horns playing. It says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Not a cross, to his cross. Now, there was, uh, when every other cross ever, when you have an A cross, (laughs) when any other cross that you see, there was one hammer. There was one Roman probably hammering together that hammer. But with Jesus Christ, my friends, as you read that verse, there was two hammers. See, there was a Roman soldier doing a little hammering. But we see that God himself was doing a little hammering as well. Isn't that right, Brother Charles? Boy, that, church, that verse, if I'm the right, it's, it gives me chills. It's so poetic. Taking it out of the way and nailing it to his cross. Here's the metaphor, brothers and sisters, of that verse. Just imagine all the uh, ordinances and laws and rules that you have broken. Just imagine there was a list made up of your personal failings and your personal violations. Would you like that list getting out, Brother Charles? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. It would be humiliating. Absolutely devastating. Now, much more... These are all, all these violations we've committed, they're all capital crimes. Because what does the law say? The soul that sinneth it shall die. We, we offend in one part of the law, we're guilty of all. We're guilty of a capital crime. We're guilty of death, a horrible death. We're guilty of a suffering death. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Now, the everlasting father, what he did was he took that list of crimes, that list of violations, that debt that we owe. First of all, it says he blotted it out so no one can see it. 
And then what did he do? Then he nailed it to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's not all. He says he took it. He took it. He took it out of the way. Now, the ver- notice the verse doesn't say he will take it if you make the right decision. He will take it if you get baptized. He will take it if you persevere <laughs> until the end. He says he took it. Amen. He took it, past tense, out of the way and nailed it to his cross. Amen. He took it. Christ has taken it away. The act of atonement is over. But the effect of the atonement remains. And that's the reason I can boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is the reason Jesus Christ could also yell from the cross. It is finished. Because the atonement is over. But yet the effect remains. Can you boast about the cross? Christ was condemned so that we are justified. I can boast about that. How about you? Christ died so that I could live. Boast about that. Christ bore our sins so that we could go free. I'll brag about that. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. All our sins were laid upon him. God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Preachers, I can preach on that. I can preach that. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. Was written by Paul. I think Paul... By the time he heard the message of the cross, he heard that message and he became obsessed with it. First Corinthians chapter two, verse two, he says, for I'm determined to not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish or are perishing foolishness. But unto us, which are saved, it is the power of God. For Paul, the cross was his priority and it should be yours. Do you have a good marriage, brothers and sisters? It's because of the cross. Did you once have an anger problem and now you've resolved that? That's because of the cross. Did you have an attitude problem and now your attitude's better? It's because of the cross. Everything that you have in this life, you owe to the cross of Jesus Christ. Is the cross your priority? If it is, what is the tangible results in your life? Is the cross is a is a priority in your life. In other words, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I'll end with this this morning. This is the priority of the Christ of the cross. Verse 15, we have the power of the cross. In verse 16, we have the promise of the cross. We have the persecution of the cross. And we have finally have the preservation of the cross. By that one act, brothers and sisters, he took it. He took it for all eternity. Our sins will never come back. Jesus Christ died for our sins. And when he, when he did that one act upon the cross, that was all that was necessary in order for us to go to heaven. That was all that was necessary for us to have that new birth here, the salvation here. In this life. That's all it took. We sing a hymn. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do we really believe it? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But let's follow this one more rule. (laughs) Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And your confession. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And your baptism. And your continued obedience. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's the reason. I can glory. God forbid. That I should glory. 
save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. The cross is everything. It even got rid of our three enemies. There's the world. There's our flesh. That's going to be that's going to end in the morning of the resurrection, isn't it, Brother Charles? Isn't that exciting? And there's the devil. Brothers and sisters, the devil is real. It's not a symbol. He's not a metaphor. It's a real entity. You know, there's the story of the church and <clears throat> Satan popped down in the middle of the church. And everybody just started screaming and running. Ah! And they start running out the doors. Except this one man. One man in the middle pew. And he had his arm folded like this. And everybody ran out the door except him. And the guy, Satan looked at him and says, you know, I'm the devil. And the guy says, yeah, I, I realize he says, uh, aren't you scared of me? He said, no. And he says, why aren't you scared of me? He says, because I've been married to your sister for 20 years. <laughs> that was to wake you up a little bit. Or make you mad. So you listen to Brother Charles. Either way. Romans chapter 8 verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Oh. Who can, who can, can this, can that, can this, can that, nothing, brothers and sisters, nothing, not even ourselves can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for your good attention. Thank you for the time. God bless you, brother. Love you. Oh, yeah. In case case you get whispering in the back. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Or I start snoring. (laughs) (laughs) Say to all that, I just say, Amen. Amen. Good preaching this morning. Greatly enjoyed the the things that he's talked has been talking about, and you know I, you get if you're like me, you know you sit there and you listen to the preaching and you're and yeah, you're, if, especially if you're into it a little bit, you know you think about you, your mind really uh, races a little bit on various different things, you know. And so uh, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, we a lot of times today, and I, and I think maybe in that day uh, when people thought of a cross, they thought of death. Uh, and they thought of defeat. But when we think of the cross, we see victory. Uh, we, see, we see Christ high and lifted up, uh, dying for our sins. And when I think about the victory, I guess one of the things my mind raced to as I was sitting there thinking, you know, I've, I have said probably at times in the past, uh, looking, at, looking at what Jesus did, you know, and the, the agony that he was in there on the cross, uh, and having the, the Father turning His back on Him, the darkness and all those things that were there, and yet recognize, recognizing that when He, at the, the moment of His death, when He gave up the ghost, not when they took His life from Him, but when He gave up the ghost and He gave up His life, even at that point in time, the Son of God was able to cry out with a loud voice. Uh, and I've, I've that has I've fixated on the, on that sometimes in the past that, that that this was the Son of God crying out with a loud voice, a man that shouldn't 
shouldn't have been able to cry out with a loud voice, was able to cry out with a loud voice. It is finished. <clears throat> Suddenly there today I'm thinking about uh, the victory. And a lot of times today, you know, we'll think about people finishing a, finishing a race. Yes. Jesus cried out, yes, it is finished there on the cross. The victory was won. I mean, that to me, that he adds more. I mean, it, it was more than just him declaring what he was doing there that day. But it was, he was crying out loudly. It's finished. I've done it. I've accomplished uh, the, the atoning work of Jesus Christ there on that cross. Great, great things to think about. So if you will, and if we can this morning... Uh, some of the things that I have been thinking on, and uh, we'll try to take a little bit of the time that uh, uh, that we have left uh, this morning. And I certainly appreciate. So glad, Brother Chris, to be here, and appreciate. Uh, I enjoy hearing someone else and uh, having that time and and the message that was brought this morning. As we've been talking about here for for several weeks, uh, there's a little expression that we find through uh, throughout scriptures, uh, both Old and New Testament. Uh, and that expression is even so. Uh, as we look at that expression, we find uh, that being used as a comparative basis. So we can say that if something's like this, uh, even so, or in like manner, this other thing is, is like it also. And so com- using it as a comparative basis. And one of the things that we've talked about is looking in the third chapter of the book of John. Uh, and we'll just kind of go through a couple of things real quickly for you that are here uh, this morning before we, before we go forward with it. Uh, but in the third chapter of the book of John, we find uh, Jesus talking to Nicodemus who had come to him by night inquiring about him being a man from God and not understanding all uh, that he was seeing, but knowing that he was a special, a special someone, a man sent from God. And as Jesus explains to him the new birth and carries through this, we get down to about verse 14 of that third chapter. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. And we, what we've talked about for those of you that are here this morning that haven't been here is the fact that if you don't understand what occurred, when Moses lifted the serpent up in the wilderness, you're not going to understand that even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Uh, but if we go back over there and look in the uh, uh, 21st chapter of the book of Numbers, what we'll find is that as, as the children of Israel had rebelled against God, uh, blasphemed against God, uh, complained, murmured against not only God, but Moses. Uh, God sent fiery serpents among them. Many of them were bitten. Many of them died. Uh, and as they, uh, as this was going on, then they go to Moses and say, Moses, <laughs> we've sinned against God and against you. I thought, I think so, you know, today when we think about it, so many people will admit just a little bit of what they've done. They might make confession against God because uh, that they've sinned against God because God is sometimes seemingly distant away. But, you know, if I've sinned against you, you know, I might not want to say, well, you know, I've sinned against you also to your face. But they came to Moses and said, we've sinned against God and against you. Now you go pray and tell us. Uh, you know, and, and, and that we might be relieved of these fiery serpents that are among us. And uh, as Moses went and prayed, God told him to take a, uh, a likeness of the serpents that were among them, take a brazen serpent, put it on a pole and hold it up. And all of those who were bitten uh, and looked upon it, 
They had to, they had to uh, believe enough that there was something, some power in looking upon that to look at it. Uh, and if they did, they would be healed. Uh, and as we, as we talked about this there in the third chapter of the book of John, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So uh, the, all of those that were dead in the wilderness, none of them looked on the brazen serpent. All those that had been bitten and died, not a one of them looked. And they stayed dead. <laughs> uh, but all of those who had been bitten and were alive, and as the serpent was held, that brazen serpent, as they glanced and believed and looked upon that, and they were healed of their sins, uh, healed of their sickness that was taking them. And as we look at this... Uh, so the Son of Man is to be lifted up just as Moses lifted that serpent up in the wilderness. And all of those who are, uh, who are dead in trespasses and in sins, not a one of them are going to look upon Jesus Christ in this way and in this manner that they might live. But for those of us who are alive, those of us who have been born of the Spirit of God and are looking for relief from our sickness and, our, and the sin that so easily besets us here in this life, looking upon Jesus and looking to the cross is the answer, my friends, for the, for the things that afflict us here. And so uh, if, if we don't understand sometimes these little words, it's little things sometimes in the scripture, uh, just to understand. And even so, <laughs> even so, if we don't understand that that means in like manner, uh, then we miss the whole message. We're going to miss the message of John 3.16 if we don't understand uh, uh, this same uh, same thing. For, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. I, we go back to that third chapter of the book of John for just a minute because I want to read all of that as we try to go through this this morning and maybe get to at least one more of the uh, even so verses as we look at this. But as he, as he talks about this, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's important, I think, for the child of God to have possession of that while we live here. Uh, and I know, I know we can't make it happen. We can't cause the birth. Jesus had already taught Nicodemus that in the early part of the, of the third chapter, uh, that it was a sovereign work of God as God's Holy Spirit moves like the wind and causes the new birth to occur. But, I, uh, but it's important for us to use what God has given us while we're here uh, so that we might be relieved of the uh, uh, trials and troubles and problems and the sin sickness that we find here. And he says, as he follows that up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life for for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He doesn't want us perishing here in this old world uh, from our sin sickness uh, when we can believe and look upon him and find relief from it. Uh, just the hope of knowing that, and the glory of knowing that this world is not our home uh, and that there's a better world that lies beyond uh, and that we can find relief from our sin here through Jesus Christ our Lord and through belief and following after him and looking after the things of God's word and finding relief. It's such a comfort for us here, this side of glory. I'm glad, I'm glad to proclaim to you that there's going to be great relief on uh, and, and total victory uh, where it'll all be gone on the other side. But uh, we can find a joy and comfort and peace right here and now so that we don't perish. Uh, 
you know, with, uh, it, it's important. I'm, I'm looking out on you young folks out there. There's a lot of ways for you to perish in this old world right here that we're living in. Uh, too many people get chasing after too many things uh, because the flesh and the world and Satan are tempting you on every hand, uh, saying, try this, do this, go here, do that. Uh, whether it's uh, uh, fall into this lifestyle or that lifestyle. Uh, fall in, and there's, there's a perishing that we will have right here in the flesh. Uh, where we find our lives destroyed, our families destroyed. You a lot of time, and I, I say this. I don't mean to be uh, talking uh, talking down in any way because I don't want to do that. But I, I know, I know. I, y'all may not believe. I was once young. <laughs> I I once had more than this shiny bald head up here. I actually had hair up there at one time. I was once young, probably much like you. Didn't give much thought to the fact that one day I would have a family, have a wife, have children, have grandchildren, have friends. Gave very little thought to those kind of things. But decisions you make in your youth can have a great impact on how your children are. Turn out. (laughs) Uh, What path they're set upon. Because they're going to see your example. They're going to follow after your manner of life. And you go down the wrong wrong path and the wrong wrong way, and you've set the path for your children and their children. And then you you know, and you're in your old age, and you're looking back and say, "What happened? <laughs> Where did I go wrong? I lost sight of the cross. I lost sight of the victory. I lost sight of the fact that I didn't have to perish. I didn't have to go down all these wrong roads to find out there was a right road. Uh, I didn't have to try all that." I'll just tell you this, uh, Solomon tried it all, go read Ecclesiastes, uh, he said at the end of it all, it was all vanity and vexation of spirit. Uh, I, I learned years ago, uh, one of the best ways to learn is to learn by looking uh, at others and, and see their mistakes and don't make the same ones. All right, so even so. Uh, let's lift him up and see to uh, uh, the fact that uh, God has blessed us, uh, that there's someone we can look upon and find relief. Uh, last week we talked, or maybe the week before, I think last week we talked a little bit about in the uh, 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, it tells us there, <clears throat> For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, if we understand who the alls are that are represented there, uh, uh, that all that Adam represented, uh, uh, which would be all of humanity, uh, uh, in him all die. And if we understand uh, that all that were in him died, and I think I can have a pretty uh, fair assurance of saying that uh, none of you had to do anything to become a sinner, uh, to become dead in trespasses and sins, uh, or to be a sinner that's going to die and perish in the flesh, or to uh, die in trespasses and sins. Uh, You didn't have to confess, be baptized. Uh, You didn't have to hang in there to the end so that you would die. Uh, All of those things, uh, nothing you did. You were a sinner by birth. <clears throat> For as in Adam all die, even so, in like manner, 
so in Christ shall all be made alive. If you didn't have to do anything to become a sinner, I can tell you, you didn't, ha- you didn't have to do anything to be saved because it's in like manner, uh, Adam being an example. I, I can turn over to the fifth chapter of the book of Romans uh, without preaching the fifth chapter of the book of Romans and looking at all those things there where it talks about being justified by Christ, uh, by his blood. Uh, it tells us there this, and we'll read this as we go into the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. He says, Therefore, as by the offense of one... Judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, or in like manner, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to the justification of life. If you can tell me what you did to become condemned in Adam, I can tell you what you did to get the free gift in Christ Jesus. And the answer is nothing that you did. It was all by our representative on the cross. For as in one man's disobedience, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Uh, When you look at the example, the even so example on one side, uh, just as uh, you didn't do anything to be a descendant of Adam, uh, you didn't do anything to be chosen in Christ Jesus and to be a spiritual descendant of Jesus Christ. Uh, So as for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Uh, uh, the beautiful story of grace. Uh, this week we'll be talking about uh, uh, and, and thinking about that song, Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. Uh, I'll tell you, I can sing that chorus and feel like uh, my chains are gone and feel like I've been set free by something uh, from a prison, my friends, that I was in uh, and been set free by the amazing grace of God. That is, sin reigned unto death. Even so, might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Christ Jesus our Lord. Death, my friends, reigned uh, because of sin. But I'm also going to say in like manner, uh, grace reigns through righteousness uh, unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. That verse of Scripture just told you grace reigns by Jesus Christ. Grace is the preeminent. It's the one that's reigning like a sovereign reigns, like a king reigns. Grace reigns through the righteous, through righteousness, not mine, your righteousness, but through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Grace reigns to eternal life. That tells us the, that's the answer. So many times there's a, there's things that are just so simple in Scripture uh, uh, that so many people overlook because they don't miss the, they miss the little words that are laid out in there. Such a joy to kind of get in and dig into the things of God's Word and see how great God has been to us. So we have this example of uh, uh, these even so verses here that tell us uh, about uh, uh, just as uh, 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 as Moses lifted up the serpent and also. Christ must be lifted up uh, and that uh, the effects for you and me. Uh, it tells us that uh, as in Adam, uh, all die. Even so in Christ, or all that Christ represented are made alive. Uh, as uh, by one man's disobedience, uh, uh, so uh, many were made. Even so, uh, uh, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men. And as sin reigned unto death, even so. 
uh, might grace reign unto righteousness. So as we go into this sixth chapter of the book of Romans now, he tells us, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Uh, He's making the argument. Uh, He's making the case. He's been making the case uh, uh, throughout this book of Romans that God has a people, uh, both Jew and Gentile, uh, that that we're both justified the same way. Uh, We're both redeemed the same way. We're saved the same way. Even though uh, one of them had the law and one group didn't have the law, uh, and and he's not trying to put down the fact that uh, he's uh, at one point here uh, he, he asked the question about uh, uh, was uh, uh, was it a good thing for them to have the law? Why, sure, it was a good thing for them to have the law. They knew about God. They knew about the grace of uh, his his many wonders there that are laid out in the Word and His care and His love for them. But it doesn't keep God from operating beyond the law. God operated way beyond all of these things. And so as he talks about this here, he says, What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that, is, that, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? If we, don't see, if, if we think that is water baptism, then we've, we've got a whole different journey to go down through. And I, and I don't believe that's what's under consideration here. But if we consider this and look at this as a point in time for you and me, and I can look at it a couple of different ways, and, uh, and uh, maybe sometimes I can do that. But uh, uh, as we look at this, you and I were baptized into what was accomplished by his death when the Holy Spirit baptized us, just as that cloud baptized the children of, uh, in the wilderness uh, and descended upon them, uh, or the Holy Spirit descends upon you and me, and we're baptized into His death. Uh, and that's not to, that we die, uh, but, all, but that we're baptized into the results of His death upon the cross. Uh, and so He says, uh, Know ye not that as many as us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Uh, uh, and so there's the accomplishment there. And I can also look at it and say, knowing that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, I see myself many times, I was on that cross. I was there in Christ Jesus. And as my Savior died and, uh, and as He carried my sins, that great list that was there, when he carried, carried my sins upon him, and my sins caused his death. Yet he carried those sins to the grave and rose victorious. I was baptized, my friends, in a sense into his death, and being baptized by the Holy Spirit because I was in Christ Jesus. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Jesus Christ, my friends, was buried in death. Our sins were carried there with him. And when he came forth from the grave, The grave couldn't hold him. 
<laughs> the grave could not hold him. He was victorious over it. And three days later, he came out of that tomb by the power of God himself, walked among the apostles and spoke to them and lived with them and ate with them and dined with them and, uh, and, and spoke to them. Paul says he spoke to over 500 at once after the resurrection. Spoke to him as one born out of due time. The grave could not hold him. And he, so as we look at this... You and I were in death and trespasses and sins. And being baptized by the Holy Spirit, my friends, we rise up to do what? Walk in newness of life. Raised up to walk again in a new and better way. Even so, uh, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Think about that. What raised up Christ Jesus from the dead? The glory of the Father raised Him up. Even so we... In like manner. What raised you up from a death and trespasses and sins? The glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, the glory of God Himself raised you up. Even so, we should walk in newness of life. Oh, I tell you, uh, when we think about why, why? I mean, isn't that the question a lot of times? We're all like, why? <laughs> how, how? You know, it's, it's, it's all the old basic questions. Who, what? When, where, why, right? They, they, somebody taught me that back in English somewhere back in there. Uh, you know, who? I, my friends, it was Jesus. Uh, why? Because he loved me. Uh, how? Uh, because he went to the cross and died for me. Uh, and one day, my friends, uh, raised up to walk in newness of life. Let us uh, uh, joy just as he ra- was raised up to sit on, sit on the right hand of the throne of the Father. Let us ra- be raised up as we're raised up by the power of God himself for the glory of God. Even so, let us walk in newness of life. We've got a new life. Uh, we've got a new home. Uh, we, we haven't gotten there yet, uh, but we're on the way. May God bless us to think about it. Amen.